morning, church family, and welcome to our Sunday morning worship service. We are grateful that you have decided to join us this morning, and uh, our prayer is that this uh, service finds you and your family healthy and um, strong in the faith and, and just living in the, in the strength of God's grace and, and for his glory. This morning, as I've been walking and doing some different things, this song has been on my heart, and I think it's just a kind of a, a fitting, uh, encouraging song for us to think about this morning, especially as we're in, in, in a season of, of crisis and, uh, and challenges to our faith, challenges uh, to, our, um, to our joy, to our confidence in the Lord. And the, the, um, the chorus of this song goes like this. It is, Rejoice in the Lord, for he makes no mistakes. He knows the end of each path that I take. And when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. I don't know if you're familiar with that song. It's something I think that I remember hearing as a child and it's kind of stuck with me for all of these years. But may those words be a blessing to you this morning. Uh, our service this morning, our, uh, we hope that the music will be a blessing to your heart. The sermon, we're going to build on that uh, theme of faith and uh, just continue to work through Hebrews 11. And uh, this morning, specifically, just look at some illustrations of what does a life of faith look like. Hebrews 11 is just full of... Um, examples of here's what living by faith looks like. And so um, I pray that it'll be an encouragement to your heart. Again, thank you for joining us this morning and may the Lord bless you. Welcome and thank you for joining us for Grace Bible Church online. We're grateful that you were able to uh, join us for this online service where we can use some technology and, and uh, worship together even in the midst of some stay-at-home orders. And I know you're praying with us that that time will soon be at an end and we'll be able to join together here in the worship center together, enjoying uh, worshiping our Lord together. Well, uh, one encouragement that I do have for you is we would love for you to reach out to us uh, with any prayer requests, any needs that you might have. Uh, on our website, there is a contact link you can see it in the main menu at the top. And that will take you to a form that uh, uh, you can complete and submit with, again, uh, any of your needs or prayer requests that you'd like to share with the congregation or directly with the elders. It would be our privilege to be praying for you. Well, again, we're grateful that you can join us this morning. You in your living rooms here, uh, we're at uh, the worship center and again, be able to worship our Lord and Savior together is a true blessing. Well, our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 119, beginning in verse 73. Would you join me in reading? Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame 
because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you for your many blessings, Lord, for your glorious creation that we see about us for this beautiful day, for the testimony of your power and your glory in all of creation as we look into a starry night. Father God, for your sovereign hand over all creation and the peace and the comfort that we gain knowing that our loving God is in control of all things. And Father, that indeed you have a plan, that you are executing upon your creation, Father God, for its good and your glory. Let us trust in it, Father God. Help us to walk in such a way that our faith testifies to your truth and to your power and your glory. Father, we thank you for this service. We thank you for the opportunity that we can come and worship together our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father God, fill our hearts with the knowledge of your truth. Fill our hearts with the knowledge of your love and your mercy and your grace. And Father God, may we extend that mercy and love and grace to those around us. We pray your blessing upon your word, Father God, that you would anoint Pastor John through your spirit to speak boldly and clearly the truths that you would have us to hear. And Father, that we would respond in faith and obedience. Thank you for these things, Father. Thank you for the blessing of your spirit upon us, testifying to your love and your grace that you have poured out in our lives. Thank you, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, Grace Bible family. Darren and Natalie here. Uh, we're going to be doing a little worship for you from our home, and we're recording this on our iPhone. But uh, a couple of the songs we're going to be doing are maybe a little different than what you're normally uh, used to hearing from us. But one of the songs is called Breathe. It's kind of a simple song, but it talks about how you might be feeling, how we're feeling, which is just how dependent we are uh, during these times of isolation on the Word of God itself. Uh, it really is our daily bread, and uh, I hope the uh, song ministers to you and that you identify with it.
folks. Again, we want to thank you for being here with us this morning. Just a few thoughts before we get into the message. Um, This next week is Mother's Day, and so next Sunday you will have the opportunity to celebrate your moms, and uh, so I pray that you'll be uh, looking for opportunities, and with the restrictions that we're in, I know that those are limited, but there are many ways that we can be a blessing to our mothers, whether it be uh, simply through a phone call or the sending of, a, of an encouraging card, or perhaps a gift of some kind. Um, whatever opportunity might present itself to you, next Sunday is a day in the year that has been set aside for the encouragement of our mothers. And so I, I just encourage you this morning that you would take advantage of that and, um, and seek an opportunity to be a blessing to your mom. In addition to that, we are... Lord willing, moving closer to some form of congregational meeting. And it looks like right now, um, possibly in the next few weeks, we'll be doing a drive-in service. And so just wanted to prepare your heart, uh, keep, your, keep your ears in tune, um, your, check your emails. We'll be sending out updates to keep you up to date or aware of what's taking place at the church and, and um, so that you can be involved when things happen. Uh, Join me, if you would, in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. We will continue our study uh, this morning through the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And um, if you're just joining us for the first time, the theme of Hebrews 11 that we're kind of focusing on, and, and obviously the theme is faith, but we've entitled this series, Faith is Better Than Fame, and um, kind of just pressing in on 
the importance of faith being for the glory of God versus um, fame, which is for the glory of men. And really want us to see that Hebrews 11 is not about a list of great men, but, but it's really a list of great men and women, or a list of men and women who serve a great God. And it's really a display of his power and his might as seen in some of the most challenging of circumstances. I, I would think in some ways that the Lord would take a, a pandemic or a situation or a crisis like we're in right now and be watching for um, people who are displaying that type of faith, um, displaying that strong faith, that uh, powerful faith, that real faith. And so that's what Hebrews 11 is all about. It's about a, a powerful God manifesting his power through his people and glorifying himself in them. This morning, uh, we'll, we're going to look at the first 16 verses. So if you just want to follow along with me, we'll read them together and uh, try to unpack some thoughts, um, some helpful thoughts for you in regards to faith on display, if you will. I, I titled the message this morning, Manifest Faith, in, in addition to the theme of the series, Manifested Faith. So join me in reading verse 1 through 16. The Bible says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift, and through his gift, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not, and he was not found because God had taken him up. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards the, those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, <clears throat> excuse me, constructed an ark um, for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore." These all died in faith, 
not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, we do thank you for this truth that we have in your word. We ask, Lord, that um, by the power of your spirit, you will grant us understanding this morning, that you will grant us um, clarity, uh, you will grant, grant us clear hearts and clear minds to receive the truths that you have for us, that you would grow us as your people into the image of your Son, that you would sanctify us, set us apart from the uh, problems and difficulties and challenges of this world, and cause us to live in a realm that is heavenly, to walk even in this life in a, with a heavenly mindset, with an eternal focus. Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning to cause our hearts to be humble, uh, cause our minds to be receptive, cause um, us to, to listen to the clear teaching of your word. Please uh, guide us and direct us, Lord, and accomplish your will and your work in us. I pray for those who are at home who are uh, struggling, perhaps physically with a sickness, maybe struggling with some emotional difficulties or depression or discouragement, uh, maybe some worries as well. I just pray that you would uh, comfort the hearts of those that are yours, that you would bless them, strengthen them, um, uplift them, bring healing to them, Lord, and deliverance as only you can do, and uh, that you would do it by your grace and for your glory. Thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you together virtually in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The past two weeks of our study, we have sought to define faith based on Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2. The remainder of Hebrews chapter number 11 is meant to illustrate or to example the faith that was defined in Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2. In other words, um, verses 1 and 2 really give us a, a good explanation of what faith is, and then the remainder of the chapter is illustrations, it's examples, it's, it's life stories of people from the Old Testament who lived out this faith in, in their daily life. It, it was very um, evident that they were people of faith because they lived by faith. Verse 6 also describes or defines this faith for us, and we'll give you the definition here in a moment. Our goal the next few weeks is going to be to systematically walk through these Old Testament illustrations or examples for the purpose of showing the, the consistency of faith and dispel any confusion about faith. Please remember this. Although faith is manifested in many different ways and in many different circumstances, it never changes and it is the same for everyone. It's important that we make note of that, that faith isn't, faith isn't subject to our 
interpretation. Faith isn't subject to our circumstance. Faith isn't subject to our personality. Faith is the same for every one of us, although it manifests itself in many different ways. I think of faith this way, and we kind of compared it last week to Hebrews 1 and verse 3, where it talks about Jesus Christ being the expressed image, the express image or the exact image of God. And then Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2 talk about our faith being in a visible image of the invisible. Um, I think that like Christ, who is immutable or unchangeable, so faith as well is something that is immutable and unchangeable. Christian faith can be defined by God's word, and it's, and it's subject to God's word, but it's not subject to us, okay? So we want to know what faith means so that we can live it out. The Bible, the Bible tells us in Romans 1.17, and I believe three or four other passages in the New Testament, and then also in the book of Habakkuk, that those who are justified or those who are righteous will live by faith. So this is going to be a, a study of the life of some Old Testament characters who lived faith. And, and it's a, a, I guess it's a challenge to us to evaluate our hearts and to press in to the faith that the Lord has graciously given us and live it out, to, to manifest it daily. Because really, if you think about it, if God gives us faith for his own glory, then it makes sense that our living that faith out is going to glorify him, and our not living that faith out is going to, in some ways, um, restrict or steal God's glory that he that he is worthy of. So, so let's go, let's get into it a little bit this morning. Let's first of all, let's look at this, this what I what I've called a um, a working definition. Okay? And this working definition is based on Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, as well as Hebrews 11, 6. Okay, this is a working definition of faith, and this will also be the grid, if you will, um, by which or through which we look at each one of these stories. These, these illustrations or examples of Old Testament people living by faith. So here is the working definition. Faith is, okay, faith is present truth. Faith is present truth. And then I put in brackets here, God is a truth about God. Faith is present truth accompanied by progressive promises. God will. So faith is God is accompanied by God will. Received by personal belief. I believe this. I trust this. I accept this. I acknowledge this to be true. And responded to by practical application. I obey. I listen. I submit. I surrender, I live this faith out. So let me give you that working definition again. Faith is present truth, God is, accompanied by progressive promises, God will, received by personal belief, I believe, trust, accept, and responded to by practical application. I obey, I listen, I submit. Now let's look real quick at 11 verse 6 to see this. 
The Bible says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would come near to God must believe that he exists. Okay, that's the he is, right? That's the truth, that he is, and that he rewards. That's the promise. That's something that you're, uh, it's a future or a progressive promise that's constantly being fulfilled. Those who seek him. So we have in that simple phrase, we have believing, we have truth, we have promise, and we have action. And the same principle, if you took verses 1 and 2 and you broke them down, you would see those same four things being present as descriptive of faith. It is really, truly, um, the definition of faith would be those four things. So make note of that if you would. If you need to pause the video and write those things down, please do so. Secondly, alone, remember this, alone, none of these things is accurate or complete in defining faith. Okay? None of these things individually, you can't have truth without promise, without application, without belief, and call it faith. Nor can you have faith Without, nor can you have belief without truth, promise, belief, and application, and call it faith. Nor can you have application without these other things. Matter of fact, that's the danger of, of much of modern-day quote-unquote faiths, is they, they try to press in on one of the issues of um, faith, one of the components, if you will, of faith, and they try to call it faith. In other words, there's a lot of churches out there that have a lot of truth. They study and they read God's word and they go really, really deep into the, the, the um, teachings of God's word, but there is no application at all. There's no living it out. So that, but they would call that faith. That's faith. Well, it's not faith until you have all, all of the components together, and then you can call it faith. It is truth, promise, belief, application. That is the whole of faith. It is truth from God's word accompanied by promises from God's word received by trust and then manifested in our daily lives. Abraham in Galatians 3 is called the father of faith. And the reason why Abraham was called the father of faith, if you go back to Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and, and really throughout the book of Genesis, what you see about Abraham is you see Abraham, a man who is given several uh, truths about God. God says to him, I'm going to make of you a great nation. God says to him, I'm going to bless you. God says to him, I'm going to take you to a place that you don't know, but it's going to be a great kingdom. God gives him all of these truths, and then he connects those truths to promises, and then, he, and then Abraham believes those promises. As a matter of fact, it says specifically that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. So he believes God, and then he goes on that journey. And he walks, and he, and he uh, obeys, and he submits, and he surrenders. And all of those things are what, what I would call, they, they capture for us the, the whole package of faith. So it's not just one of those things, but it's all of those things 
as companions. So we're going to look this morning at seven of these examples or illustrations of this faith being unfolded for us. Uh, seven illustrations in Hebrews 11 that are, are to, meant to unpack for us um, what faith looks like. And uh, my prayer is that we would be able to, after this week and, and next week as well, we would be able to understand faith rightly and fully. We would be under, able to understand faith rightly and fully through the use of these Old Testament characters and we would then become, we would become people who live out that faith as well. In other words, I, I was thinking as I was preparing this week, um, wouldn't it be great, and I know the Lord is not rewriting his Bible, um, it, it, we have the completed word, but I just thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if, if the Lord was rewriting his word and he was looking for illustrations of faith or examples of faith that he would say, hey, you know, uh, that Grace Bible Church of Hollister, that's a place that I'd really like to include in my new Hebrews 11, right? And, and I know he's not doing that, but, it, but I think it's just, it's not inappropriate to think like that. Or, or maybe he would say, you know, um, I'm looking for someone to include in my new Hebrews 11, and so, oh man, I really like this family over here, or this individual. You kind of get the picture that this is, um, these are examples for us not just to learn from, but also to um, to, to follow in their footsteps, to, to pattern our life after. Now, I, I would say this, as we get into this, I would just say these are examples of somebody living by faith, which is what we're all called to. Remember, the just shall live by faith. Well, here's what the, here's what the apostle, uh, the writer is saying. Here it is. Here's what it looks like. Here's, here's it manifested. So let's look at seven. Um, Let's move through these uh, fairly quickly, and uh, hopefully by the end we'll be able to embrace these four truths and just kind of press in that, Lord, help me to be a person that not just embraces one part of faith, but man really becomes a person of faith. So let's go here. The Bible says, first of all, in verse number three, he goes back to creation. The first illustration, the first example that the author gives, that God gives, for faith is creation. Uh, I think it's because, I think he starts, I believe he starts there because that is the fundamental truth that we all must accept. In, in order to be a person of faith, the basic truths of creation are fundamental to our, our whole functioning in life. In, in other words, um, I believe it's MacArthur, John MacArthur, who, who recently said, if we don't if we don't embrace the first three chapters of Genesis, how is it possible we're going to be able to embrace the whole rest of the Bible? I think that's true. I would agree with him in his statement. I would take it one step further and say, if we don't embrace the power of God in creation in Genesis 1 through 3, how can we embrace the power of God in other things? in how can we expect anything to supernaturally happen if we don't accept his creating ability. So creation is the first thing. He says in verse 3, by faith we understand, we, we get an understanding by, by these four things. We get, to, we get to get it. We get to understand it. We get to embrace it. 
by faith, we get to embrace these things, that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. So let's go through the four things. The first thing is the truth. What is the truth? The truth is is that God is the creator. God is the creator of things. It uses the term here that are invisible or that are not visible. But I think there's more to that. I think the the idea of it is is not only is God creating let me go back here. It doesn't say that he's creating the things that are invisible, but he's creating the things that are visible. But he is invisible. He's creating the, the idea of creation that's important in this concept, God as creator, is that he takes something that, or he, he creates something that doesn't already exist. Okay, God as creator. Um, there's no one else who is a creator. No one has ever existed that's a creator except God. No one could say, I am a creator. Now, now we, we, we manufacture things. We take what God has created and we manipulate it and we, we help it do things. We put it together in certain ways and it, it, it accomplishes things. But no one can say that I am a creator in the sense that God is a creator. And the reason for that is, is because God, as a creator, takes nothing and makes something out of it. So that's the first truth. God is, a, God is the creator of the universe. The promise that goes along with that is all things that are visible, all things that we see, okay, come from an invisible God. All things that are visible that we can look around us and see, all those things come from an invisible God. God is creating things out of nothing. He is making what is visible out of that which is is not visible. The visible is an expression of the invisible, and the physical is a display of the spiritual. And again, let's just take the theme of Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews. What's it about? The whole book of Hebrews is about these physical expressions of the invisible, right? All of the sacrifices and ceremonies and things that they did in the Old Testament, the Lord is saying those are all a picture of the invisible world. They're all a picture of what you can't see. So to get this, we see that what, what is God saying here is God is the creator, creating things visible, expressing that which is invisible, And the promise with that is all things that are visible that we see are created by an invisible God. The understanding of that, the belief, if you will, is to to understand it, to exercise the mind and to perceive it. And then the application is to submit to it, depend upon it, and worship the God who does it. That's, that's the application. The application, the, the applying part, is we, we recognize that God is the creator of all things. We realize that. We accept that. Everything that comes into existence that doesn't exist before comes from God. And we accept that. We therefore glorify him for that. We submit to his will and we depend upon him. And all of these things capture the idea of faith. Let's think about it this way for a moment. Go back with me to Romans chapter number four in your Bibles. Let's think of this from a salvific perspective, salvation. Does salvation exist in an unregenerate person's heart? 
a person, before they're saved, does salvation exist there? The answer is obviously no. The Bible tells us that every individual is is the enemy of God before they're saved. They're they're depraved. They're totally depraved. They're, um, They're the enemy of God. They're at war with God, their mind is, in, in, is obstinate towards God. There's, um, the Bible says that their heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, and every thought and imagination of their heart is only evil continually. And these are verses of Scripture that describe the heart of man before salvation takes place. So it's obvious that, that righteousness is not existing in the heart of an individual who is lost. But here's the truth, that God is the creator God is the one who can take something that doesn't exist and make it exist. This is how faith is is applied, folks. It's Yes, here's the truth. God is the creator of things that don't exist. The promise is that he can take something that's not there and he can make it happen. We believe and we embrace that and the living out of that is is the trusting and the depending on God. Look at what he says in which Romans 4, but think about that for a moment. That is the basis of salvation, is belief in the Lord. It's trusting in the Lord, that he is capable of doing these things, that what he says about himself is true. Romans 4 and verse 17, it says, speaking of Abraham, and this is salvific faith, He says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So God is capable of, of bringing into existence something that doesn't exist. This is a wonderful uh, truth about God with a great promise that we can have before we're saved, we're unrighteous, we're sinners, we're defiled. All of these things are true about us, but God says, because he is the creator of all things, that he can bring into existence something that doesn't exist. And a believer, a faith person, is able to grab hold of that truth, is able to embrace that truth, is able to trust that that truth is real, and is able to then believe God to create within them what, that which doesn't already exist, and therefore they become submissive, they become humble, they become content, they become righteous, they become satisfied. Why? Because they have become a person of of faith. They have become a person of faith. So we see it in the first illustration in creation. God is creator. The promise is, therefore, he can create something that doesn't exist, which applies to many areas of life. The belief is understanding. It's embracing. It's, it's, it's exercising the mind, perceiving the truth. And the application is submission, obedience, uh, dependence, and the worship of God. And not only that, but the expectation of God. The second illustration or example that's given is in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Okay, we stop there. What is the truth that's mentioned here? Uh, What is the truth, first of all, of this faith? 
The truth is, is that God is forgiving. What do we see in this text is we see two men, Cain and Abel, who have committed sin. The whole reason for the sacrificial system that's, that's in place here and, and really all through the, New, the Old Testament is um, so that people could experience the forgiveness of God. So right away, the, the truth is, God is a forgiving God. God is a merciful and a gracious God. And that truth must be fun, fundamental. That truth must be foundational for a person to live by faith. What is the promise? Okay, It's a truth associated with a promise. What is the promise? The promise is that a blood sacrifice made for sins is something that is acceptable to God. We know that in the Old Testament, in order for someone to be accepted by God... Um, because of their sinfulness or um, in order for someone to be accepted by God as sinners, they had to make a blood sacrifice, had to be made. It's a beautiful picture of, of the cross and Christ made that blood sacrifice for all who would believe in him and trust in him. Cain and Abel were given the opportunity to sinful men They were given the opportunity to receive forgiveness. Why? What's the basis of their coming and bringing that sacrifice to God? Because they believe that he was a forgiving God. They believe that he was a merciful and gracious God. That truth is fundamental. The promise is what is is also foundational is, okay, here's the promise. If If you come with a blood sacrifice, you will receive forgiveness. But the other side of that is if you don't come with a blood sacrifice, you will be rejected. The belief is Abel obviously believes God and Cain refuses to. Abel believes God. Abel accepts what God has said. Cain decides, listen, I'm going to do this on my own. I've got my own way. I've got my own system. I've got my own plan laid out. I'm going to bring God a offering. I'm going to breathe, I'm going to bring God a tithe. I'm going to bring God the first fruits of my produce. The things that I have grown and worked for, I'm going to bring those to God. It's not a blood sacrifice that's needed. God, listen, I can do whatever I want and you're going to accept me. You see, that moves it outside of the realm of faith because you have taken the truth that God has presented to these two men and you've distorted it by saying, I'm going to do it my own way. Now, you have still belief in your in his system you have the bringing of the tithe which was something that god required back in those days but it wasn't required for the payment for sin it wasn't required as a sin offering blood was required as the sin offering so the belief is abel believes god and, and cain refuses to abel accepts god's came cain refuses God's way, and Abel accepts God's way. This is so very important to us in our Christian life because we read a lot of truths in God's word, and we see them. I, I was thinking this week just to, some practical applications of this being, being expressed. I think of how sometimes we have marital problems and struggles in our marriage, and we figure out our own way and our own plan and our own, our own means by which we're going to accomplish it, and we throw the truth of God's word out like, Wives, submit to your husbands as, as, um, 
unto the Lord, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And we've got these two truths here, and if we're people of faith, we just need to embrace those two truths and, and live them out. But instead, what we do is we come up with our own way, like, Ab- like Cain did, and we create our own pattern for receiving God's quote-unquote acceptance, and it ultimately leads to the further destruction of our marriage, it's so interesting because the Lord says to Cain, if you go back into Genesis chapter 4, you'll see this story unfolding. The Lord says to, to Cain, he says, listen, Cain, if you will make the right sacrifice, you will receive forgiveness. In other words, if you will believe my truth, if you will trust my truth and do what I said, you will receive forgiveness. But if you won't, you will receive condemnation. The application is, Abel brings a sacrifice of blood, just like God told him to. He believed God, and he brought a sacrifice of blood. Believing always leads to activity. Abel, on the other hand, refused, or Cain, on the other hand, refused to believe God and therefore offered a sacrifice of first fruits. In the end, Abel was accepted and Cain was rejected. And we see that pattern of faith again. The third pattern of faith is found with Enoch. Go down with me in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. For, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now when he was commended, now before he, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So Enoch is a man, if you go back to Genesis chapter number 5, the Bible says that he's a man who walked with God, he's a man who communed with God, he's a man who fellowshiped with God, he's, a, he's, he's like, uh, I, I think of him as like Peter, James, and John, right? Those are those three guys that when Christ was on the earth, they did everything in their power to to spend all of their time and energy with Christ. They were what many theologians call them was they were the part of that inner circle. Well, Enoch was that kind of that inner circle in the Old Testament. He was that guy that that pressed in and and walked with God and fellowship with God and communed with God in, in such a, a, a glorious way that he, along with Elijah, two men in the Bible who were taken up. In other words, um, the the idea of it is, is the rapture. They were raptured out of this life without ever seeing death. Um, two very, very special situations and circumstances where God did that which was against that was what was normal. And uh, he raptures these guys up into heaven to be with him. So let's look at what do we learn. I believe that this Enoch story, and you know it's interesting because you go back to Genesis Five, and you read about Enoch, and it's like one or two verses. There's so little to be known about this Enoch that uh, in the Bible compared to all the other characters, but yet the Lord takes some time and energy to focus in on him to show that he was a man of faith. And, and I'm gonna, I'm, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some things about him and end on him this morning and, uh, and then press in a little bit further next week. But I want you to think about this with me. I believe that verse 5, 6 are together, and that they're, they're, they're combined, that he's describing Enoch's faith in verse number 6. And the Bible says in, back in, in Genesis that Enoch walked with God, um, that he... 
he, he walked with God in, a, in an intimate way. He, he, he had sweet fellowship with God. He had sweet communion with God. He had, he had sweet harmony with God. And God took him out of there. So let's, let's look at it. Let's, let's unfold Enoch for a moment. And again, if you want to, in your time, Genesis chapter number 5 deals with this, um, gives us a little bit more, I guess, a, a visual aid of what Enoch was like. But he says, before Enoch was taken up, it was commended, it was proclaimed, if you will. He was given acceptance by God as being pleasing. And it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God. So there's that, there's that Enoch walked with God. Whoever would desire to walk with God. And I, and I, I imagine this morning that you're sitting there in your in your. Um, in your houses and you're, and you're thinking to yourself, I would, I would really love to walk with God. I, I know that that's a, a passion of many of your hearts. And, and I know for a lot of us, it's, it's difficult to know how. It's like, how do I walk with God? How do I, how do I have a, a closeness and intimacy with him? You know, I, I guess for me, um, it's like, when, when, when does God become more than just a... Uh, more than just a being that is distant and far away, but when, when do I experience his fatherly care? At what point do I, do I walk with him like he's my friend? And do I see Christ as my brother? At what point do I see the Holy Spirit as a, as a person who lives within me and who wants to commune and fellowship with me every day? At what point do we see God in the Trinity as being relational and seeking to have a, a, a partnership, if you will, for really for lack of another, a better term, seeking to have fellowship with his people. I mean, I think of the Garden of Eden, you know, the Bible says that the Adam and Eve walked with God every day in the garden. And I, and I think of that and I think, you know, I don't think that they walked through the garden and Adam and Eve told God about all their problems and told God about and made all of the requests to them and their and their whole time together was about Adam and Eve um, confessing their problems and making requests of God. I was thinking the other day, matter of fact, as I was walking and, and praying and I was thinking, you know, how how many friends do I have where I tell them all of my problems and make requests of them and there's nothing more? I thought to myself, you know, I wonder sometimes if God doesn't want us just to talk and walk with him, just to commune with him like he's real, like he's really there and he just wants to, he just wants to be with us. He wants to talk with us and commune with us and fellowship with us. This is what Enoch had. So let's look at it. Let's, and again, I think the only way that you get to that point is to be a person of faith, to be a person that is is studying God's word for truth and promises, who is believing those truths and promises and who is acting those things out. You can't, you can't walk close to God if you're taking the truths of God's word and throwing them out. You can't walk close to God if you're not embracing his promises as being real, as being fulfillable. You can't walk with God unless you believe and you can't walk with God unless you make application. So let's walk through this. He says, that, that Enoch walked with God and he was not. He says in verse number um, six, and without faith it is impossible to please God 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so the first thing that we see, the first truth that we see is that God is God. This is the truth. God is God. God is. This is a a divine term used for God to describe his self-existence, to describe his his perfections, really to describe the transcendent nature of God. You, you, You might say John is short, or John is tall, or John is skinny, or John is fat, or John is is eloquent, or John is not. You might come up with a lot of different terms or phrases to describe me as a person, but the God is term is meant to describe God as as transcendent of all of the things that we could ever imagine. So get, get this, faith, like Enoch, if you want to press in and be close to this God, you have to believe that God is transcendent, that he is, he is beyond all of our imaginations, he's beyond all of our understanding, he's beyond all of our comprehension. He transcends everything there is in this world. All of the things that he creates, he transcends them. So to look around us, yes, we see the beauty of his creation, we see the majesty of his creation, but we still, we still are, are left stretching and reaching to see the magnificence of his person. We must believe to be a person of faith like Enoch who walked with God intimately, we must believe that he is God, that God is God. And then he doesn't stop there. He says, and here's the promise, or back to the truth. God is God, and God is a rewarder. We must believe that not only is God God, but God rewards those who diligently seek him. The promise goes along with that second phrase. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's the promise. The truth is God is God, and God is a rewarder. That's who he is. Okay, that is his character. Man, you can, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can sign your check on that one. That is true. That is accurate. That is always consistent. God is God, and God is a rewarder. Now, here's the promise. The progressive promise is that God will reward those who diligently seek him. That's the promise. Jeremiah 29, 13, and 14, he says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you, declared the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Proverbs 2, 4, and 5, if you seek me like silver, if you seek wisdom like silver and search for it like a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So what is the truth about Enoch? The truth is he believed that God is God and he believed that God is a rewarder, right? And then the promise is Enoch, seek God with all of your heart. Press into God with all that you are. Give God all that you have. Walk with God, commune with God, fellowship with God as much as you can. Seek him with your whole heart. Seek him like you would seek for silver or for gold. And those who seek him, this is the promise, they will be rewarded by him. It's a beautiful picture. 
when we seek the Lord with all of our heart, we are rewarded for seeking the Lord with all of our heart, and we are rewarded with the Lord. He's not only what we pursue, but he is the reward of our pursuit. We seek to find him. What is the belief? Enoch obviously embraced, trusted, believed that God is God and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He embraced that. What is the application? Enoch walked closely with God. That's what he did. And that's what people do. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves this morning. What do people do who believe that God is God and he rewards those who diligently seek him? It's, it's really a no-brainer, right? If I believe that God is God, create things out of nothing, he, he called the world into existence in six days, I mean, if I believe that God is God and that he rewards those who diligently seek him, what am I going to do? I am going to diligently seek him. So what do we see in this? We see in these uh, few illustrations that we've been able to get to th- through this morning, we see faith is truth. What is the truth? What is the basis of that truth? It is the promises that are accompany- accompanying that truth. It is belief in those truths, and it is application of those truths. Let me say this in closing. In the end, because we have a working definition of truth, it is also knowable, or let me say it a different way, because we have a working definition of truth, we also have a way of diagnosing it. Because we have a working definition of faith, we can diagnose faith. This is why 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. So because we have a working definition, we can also have a working examination. We can examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. The dangers are this. Many believe but have no objective truth or promises as foundational for what they believe. They believe, but there's nothing There's nothing for which or on which they're basing their belief. This is not Christian faith. We ask a Christian, a Christian's faith is one that's built upon the solid foundations of God's word and the promises of God's word as well. So while believing is an important aspect of faith, truth and promises are equally important aspects of faith. Why do you believe what you believe? And then the other danger is many have knowledge but don't believe to the point where the truth or the promises have any effect on their lives practically. In other words, their minds are full of information, but the information never makes it to their heart, and therefore they never bear the, the truths that they, that they claim to embrace never produce any fruit. Um, John 15, I would just refer you to John 15. The Bible talks about those who do not produce fruit. He will, he will cut them off and cast them into the fire. The, the picture is, is that your, your life should produce fruit. A faithful life will produce fruit. So to have knowledge and not produce fruit 
is not faith. To have fruit but not to have a basis for that fruit is not faith. Faith, Christian faith, is when spiritual truths and promises get a solid grasp on your heart and they produce fruit. I close with this verse. Matthew 13, 23 says, Ask for what was sown on good soil. This is the one who hears the word, the Bible. He understands it. And indeed, he bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, 60. And another, 30. What do we have? We have truth. We have promises. We have belief. And we have action. And what do we call that as a package? We call that faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much this morning for your word. Thank you for giving us these illustrations of people who saw you as real, who saw you as powerful, who saw you as forgiving, who saw you as creative, who saw you as as, um, uh, desiring communion, as rewarder. Thank you, Lord God, for these illustrations. Lord, help us to be those people. Help us to walk in communion with you that is, that is like rapture, that we live above. Lord, I don't know that you'll rapture any of us like Enoch, but, but may we live as if we've been raptured like Enoch. Pray that you would help us to even rise above the pandemic that we're in right now and to live in communion with you. Help us to press in on this idea of faith, Lord God, and embrace it in its, in its, in its entirety and, and seek truth from your word and embrace promises in your word and believe those promises and, and then act on them. May our lives be so distinct from this world that the world would know and we would know that we are people of faith. We love you, Lord, and thank you for the privilege to serve you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thank you again for joining us this morning. Um, My request, my prayer is is that the Lord would speak to your heart through the preaching of his word. And um, I'm excited about being able to preach to you um, physically in the church. I I look forward to the day where I could see responses back from, from you guys. But until then, we will continue to faithfully produce um, videos and send them out to you to be a blessing. In closing, please remember tonight is the men's and ladies' Bible studies. You should have an email um, referencing that so that you can become a, be a part of that program. The, the community groups throughout the week and then also some Bible studies that are being sent out. And then, by all means, don't forget next week is Mother's Day. And um, that would be the worst thing that you could do. So remember Mother's Day. And uh, we love you all. Thankful that the Lord has called us to minister together. And whether it be virtually or physically, we're thankful to God for his word. And we're thankful to God for you. Lord bless.